The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion's making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Amen. All right, stand up on your feet, take your Bibles, and turn to the second epistle of Paul the Apostle to Timothy, 2 Timothy, glory to God, special message, we are in the midst of a series out of the book of Genesis, I can't wait actually to get back to it, but I felt that the Lord would have me bring a special Mother's Day message called Empowering the Next Generation, 2 Timothy chapter 1, reading from the New King James Version, uh, it has come to my attention uh, in my last trip that I just got back from and talking with uh, Dr. Morocco, who I consider to be a great scholar and others, uh, that the New International Version, just letting you know, the New International Version has uh, come up failing pretty extensively just in the recent releases. The 1984 version of the New International Version is wonderful, and I think some after that too. I'll let you know exactly when the change was, but I'm just telling you, they just altered the text to just push themselves right out of being credible. Uh, and so that is not good. You say, which one do I have? I'll, I'll let you know when the date, when it shifted. I'll find that. I don't have that information. But I thought, you know, I thought I just might rescue some of you that are just about to ready to buy a Bible, and the NIV just isn't doing it. They, they changed some things they, they shouldn't have. And uh, it's important to note that. There are some many wonderful versions, like the New King James, which I'm going to read from today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, you all there? Okay, we're going to start in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did and with, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Heavenly Father, thank you for the marvelous time we've had together already. Now in the moments that remain, I pray that you would give us living understanding, that you would speak to us clearly out of your word, that you would anoint these lips of clay, that as I speak, it would burn faith in the hearts of each and every one of us. Lord, give us ears to hear, a heart to respond, what you say to your bride today. God, and we thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are notes that are being passed out. That's our custom. Mothers have always played a tremendous role in shaping the next generation. Of course, they give birth to the next generation, so that would be one major role that they play in shaping it. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that God has made a special emphasis on the importance of being a mother. You say, well, where is that? In First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you'll find that the kings of Judah, these kings would rise, some of them would be evil, and other kings would be good. And you'll find on the occasion where the king is a good king, you'll find his mother's mentioned. 
And you know what I believe that the Lord is saying? I believe the Lord is saying, yeah. Especially the kings that were good but had evil fathers. It is the influence of the mother many times. And I think throughout Scripture about the great mothers in the Bible. Jacobed is one that comes to mind. How many of you know who Jacobed is? Nobody knows who Moses' mama. Moses' mama, Jacobed. Her and her husband were given the decree from Pharaoh, which was basically genocide, to destroy a whole generation of boys. And instead of listening to the decree, Hebrews 11 talks about it, when they saw that Moses was a beautiful child, and you study that, in fact, if you go back to Exodus and read the story of Moses, when they saw that he was a beautiful child, really the word beautiful is something of the city. Let me explain. When they looked at, their chi- at the child, they saw that the child had something of the city of God, something of the glory of God, that this was not an un- a regular child. It's a very unusual child. They could not submit to Pharaoh's decree. And Jacobed, the great mother of Moses, resisted that, hid the child when she could hide him no longer. She put him in a basket, sent him down the river to another mother, Pharaoh's daughter, and was raised in the king's household. I think about Hannah. Hannah is a favorite story of ours in our home. That's why we named our daughter Hannah. The great intercessor Hannah had a rough start. She was provoked. What do you mean? She was barren. She could have no children. She was married to a man who loved her deeply and would even give her double portions as they went to the temple, as they went to the tabernacle to sacrifice. Temple's not built at that time. And you'll see this story in 1 Samuel there in chapter 1. And she's year after year provoked by her rival, one version says. So the other wife would go, na 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 I've got kids and you can't have any. You know, how irritating. Mean, meaner. Hater's going to hate. And so she would provoke her. And finally, all of that harassing and provoking pushed Hannah to the point of utter distress and brokenness. And she breaks before the Lord. And Eli, her pastor, comes and accuses her of being drunk. Listen, when you break in real travail and real prayer, so much so that it looks like you're intoxicated, then you know you've broken And she cries out, and Eli accuses her of being drunk, and she says, don't consider your daughter a daughter of Belial, which shows you what the Lord thinks about drinking and getting drunk, I should say specifically. And so she says, no, I'm bitterness and distress, and he says, your prayer has been answered. And her countenance changes, and she sings this song, and it, which is very similar to the song of Mary. And you look, at, you look at those two. You can compare those two texts. She sings this song and she goes back filled with joy. And the text says there in First or Second Samuel, in the process of time, she conceived. Which is amazing to me. You say, why is that amazing? Because she got the answer to prayer, but she didn't conceive right away. Listen, you pull things down. You get things by faith and then it plays out in the natural. And so she's, she knows she's going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby, yeah. I'm going to have a baby. And she put faith to it, and eventually she became pregnant. I think about Mary. Mary is another powerful mother in Scripture, really a teenager. The angel of the Lord comes and says, Mary, highly favored and chosen of the Lord, you're going to bear forth the Savior. <laughs> you know how hard that had to be for her. Yes, go and tell her dad, 
By the way, there are no more immaculate conceptions. Amen. So don't, don't try to pull that one. Oh, the Lord overshadowed me. No, he didn't. Being a mother is an amazing thing. And these two great mothers in the Bible here, Lois and Eunice, I'm in the notes now. Verse 5 says, When I call to remembrance a genuine faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your great-grandmother. Pardon me, in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother. Not great-grandmother, but grandmother. And persuade is also in you. These two women passed down an inheritance. And as we look at this text today, I believe that God is going to give us some principles, not just for the mothers, but also for us fathers. So that we can see the next generation empowered. If we don't have an awakening in this next generation, we won't be having church 40 years from now if the Lord tarries. We need to have a great revival. And so let's look at the text. Paul, writing to Timothy here, is aware of his impending death. He's a prisoner in Rome, part of what is called the prison epistles. He's writing to Timothy, who he describes as his beloved son, or his dear son, another version says. It's not just an associate. Not just, he's not an employee. He's not somebody just a part of the team. He's actually a beloved son. And that's important to me. I think every one of us, come on, are there any sons here? Come on, if you're, if you're, if you're a man, then you, you should, you're a son. Any daughters here? Yeah, you're, we're all sons and daughters. This young man, Timothy, was probably saved in Acts chapter 14 when the apostle Paul and his team comes through a city called Lystra. They come through Lystra and, and his mother and his grandmother become believers. We find out later that his father's a Greek. He's a pagan. So he lives in a home that's divided, a home that has faith and also a home with pagan roots and beliefs. And, but he describes him as my beloved son. On his second missionary journey, uh, the apostle Paul then uses Timothy. He works with Paul and, and, and helps him along with Silas. And Paul's not ashamed to express his love for Timothy and his love is expressed in a number of ways. One, he prays for him night and day. You know, if you really love someone and you're a believer, you will pray for them. It's always amazing to me that the wave of joy I experience when I run into somebody who I've been praying for many times for years, or missionaries, or people that have had a hard time that are maybe on the other side of the continent and you pray and you intercede for them, you're finally able to see them. Your heart just leaps. It's an expression of, of love for people. And he longs to see them so that his joy would be, so that he'd be filled with joy. He reminds Timothy of his heritage of faith. Wow. How his mom and how his grandma loved the Lord. They were Jews, but they became believers. And he reminds them of that. And then he, he says to stir up the gift that's in you. And I see that really as the, the call of God that came as the Apostle Paul laid hands on him. But I think it's also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, perhaps, as he laid hands on him. He told him to stir himself up. The picture is really that, that maybe, maybe Timothy is getting, you know, needs some encouragement. And he tells him to stir himself up. Anybody have a wood stove at home? We heated with, exclusively with wood for a number of years and uh, I got set free from my wood stove, and now I miss it horribly. I, I, there's something about man and his fire, I'm just saying. Chomping wood and putting up eight cords of wood and 
watching the kids work out there with me and doing all of that. But I would get up in the middle of the night and the embers would be, would be you know, going out. But I would take a, a fire poker and kind of shake the ashes off them and push them together. And that's what to stir up the gift is, is to take a fire poker and stir yourself up. He tells him to stir himself up. All right, how to empower the next generation? How to empower the next generation? I think the first thing is we bring some application now from this text is, look, dude, ma'am, sir, be a person of faith yourself. You can't give what you don't have. Our generation doesn't need to be empowered by Xbox, doesn't need to be empowered by Instagram or Facebook. They need to be empowered by faith. They need to be empowered by the living God, the resurrected Jesus. They need to be empowered by truth. And you can't empower somebody with something you don't have. Be a person of faith yourself if you're going to empower the next generation. Some parents attempt to give their children what, what they call religious training. It's kind of a bygone expression, a bygone expression from a bygone era. I want my child to receive some religious training. I think you're the one that needs to get religious training. It's wonderful to send a child off to church or put him in a van and to maybe send him to some parochial school. I think that can be good. It can also be bad. One thing's for sure. Your children, men, women, parents, your children are your number one disciples. And you, before God, are responsible for discipling them. And I thank God for Pastor Alex and his input into my kids. I thank God for Minister Micah and Mike Sisson and my staff. I thank God for the, in, the input and the influence that comes from a godly staff that's around my, my children that are now teenagers. Reach your hands towards me and let's pray right now. She, I'm kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> kidding. Teenagers. I was joking. I'm just kidding. Teenagers' frontal lobes aren't fully developed yet. No, this is true. So you have to realize that they aren't quite together. So you have to help them until they can become whole, which is around 30. (laughs) I think they say 24, 23, 24 years old. So if you wonder why they might be acting a little odd, it's because the frontal lobe's not quite there. Okay, that, that might be revelation for some of you. And others of you obviously don't have any teenagers. So what's amazing is that you can't give what you don't have. In counseling, I talk with, I counsel quite a bit. And in counseling with folks, something I found that really helps is this, is the revelation that your father, your mother, could only give what they have. So you can't give what you don't have. Come on, how do we impact the next generation? Number one, be a person of faith yourself. Faith as a, as, a dynamic, as a dynamic trust in Jesus Christ. It's living. It's breathing. Day in, day out. Reading your word. Praying. Doing the right thing, even when it hurts. It's living for the Lord, not just on Sunday. It doesn't mean going to church. It doesn't mean, Christian mean doesn't mean go to church, although that should be part of your walk with the Lord. It should be Monday through Sunday. It should be seven days a week. You should have no secret dark places where you can do whatever you want and then you come back to your religious life. A life of hypocrisy. No, that's not what it should be. Faith is a, is a clear conscience. You fill your notes in, if you will. 
as a clear conscience. It's more than going to church. And I've heard stories, and maybe you have too, and unfortunately, many of the stories I've heard about pastors and their families, where a pastor would stand, or him and his wife would stand and declare that God's great and He's awesome and go back home and be a devil. Go back home and be an abuser, violently abusing with their mouth and even with their hands. And that's why many pastors' kids don't follow the Lord. My kids love the Lord, are filled with the Spirit. I'm so thankful for them. Not that we're perfect. We are not. I know that's a shock to many of you. Oh, we fall short. And we live a lifestyle of repentance and a clear conscience. Did anybody blow it this week besides me? I'm not talking about some big major sin. I'm talking about, you know, attitude. Maybe you got a little angry. You, sh- you, you vented on somebody and maybe you shouldn't have. Listen, you've got to have a clear conscience. Faith is seen as, a, is, as having a vibrant, dynamic walk with Jesus, but also as having a clear conscience. And Timothy had, a, Timothy had a good reputation among people. Listen, keep your conscience clear, clean. Keep it clean. I'm on a short leash. I said that in all the services, I think, that I've preached this message, and now the third service. I don't, I, I don't want to get away with things, but I also can't. What do you mean you can't? If I step out of line, it's like the Lord comes to me. I mean, when he speaks to me to do something, if I don't do it or I delay, you know, delay is actually disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Good tweet. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And when I have delayed at times... And sometimes I'm not sure exactly what the Lord wants me to do, so I'm, I'm fleshing it out. I'm trying to work it through. But I, I have a very short list. I, I don't have a list. It, it might develop during the day, but we have to wipe it out by night. Some of you don't understand that. You just violate your conscience all the time. I'm going to go encourage myself. I'll be right back. <laughs> Praise God, Pastor Daniel. Tell me. Preach it. Well, don't violate your conscience. Be a real Christian. Be, be Christ-like. Well, let's move on. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. Faith is right doctrine. Well, this will preach. Take heed to yourself and your doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing, for doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Leave that up. Most people I have found are lazy in their understanding of Scripture. They are lazy in their eschatology. They're lazy in understanding really about the truth of God's Word. And I have had seasons like that, especially in my early walk with the Lord. I struggled with reading and things, and I'll tell you how God helped me. I just would come, I just so happened to, by the grace of God, end up in this church 20 plus years ago where really sound, anointed teaching was coming forth every single time we had service. But there came a time when the Lord wanted to take me deeper and I had to grow and I'm still growing. I'm, how many of you are still getting discipled? You saved for years, you're still growing. Yeah, that's something that never stops. But most believers don't really even know what they believe. Has anybody ever had a real sincere group knock on your door wearing ties or, 
They don't really ride bikes around here too much. Yeah, there's Christian cults that are out there. They have changed the word of God. And, and, and they'll bring you down the same primrose path and bamboozle you if you let them. If you don't know what you believe. And let me just say about kids and moms, dads, you're raising this generation in your home. And all of us have a role. You say, my kids are raised already. Well, help raise this group that's with us. You can be a part of it. You can get involved. If you don't teach them to have convictions, then when they get to university, they will sell out. And I have seen on fire, spirit-filled believers leave homes, go to universities, and be completely wiped out by secular humanism, completely destroying their walk with God because they were not solid in the Word. They didn't really know the Word. And they couldn't refute these arguments that came from evangelistic atheists. Atheists are now evangelistic. I mean, it's kind of like an oxymoron there. They go out and they recruit. They know how to destroy Christians' faith because most Christians don't know zip in the Word. Now, I know that's probably not the case here. You all are studied and showing yourself approved. Amen? Faith is seen as right doctrine. Doctrine is important. Pentecostals are the worst. Just saying. Well, they are. Just like, if I can feel him, it's all good. I'm going to tell you something. The devil will come. You'll be able to feel that too. And he comes as an angel of light. He's not coming with a pitchfork, ladies and gentlemen. He's not coming like with a big old hat and a nasty red suit. and Just hiss at you and you'll be like, the devil! Yeah, everybody's going to. He's not going to come like that. He's going to come with a blue dress on or something. Gonna come, he's going to come however he comes, like an angel of light. Miracles, signs, wonders to deceive even the elect if it's possible. So you've got to know. You've got to have discernment. You've got to pray. You've got to have right doctrine. You've got to know what's true. Is it, is it getting convicting in here? It's a little convicting. All right, let's move on. Faith's formed by the Holy Spirit. And I see that it's this day-to-day walk with Jesus. Faith is expressed by sacrifice. Well, this is a winner right here. You see, most people don't know how to sacrifice for the Lord, for the kingdom of God. And if your kids, people around you in life, if your community doesn't see people that can sacrifice for the kingdom. See, many people have made comfort their God. Well, they say they love the Lord, but as long as it's comfortable and it's doesn't, it doesn't put them out, as long as it's not, you know, inconvenient. You know, morning prayer is probably one of the most inconvenient things I do all day. I don't wake up like, golly, gee, let's just go to morning prayer. I I, I don't have it like that. But I get up and I go because I know I have to. I know I have to. It orders my day. And I know that without prayer, we won't make it. Sacrifice. Well, look at this unusual passage of Scripture. Acts 16, talking about Timothy, verse 3. Acts 16, 3. Put it on the screen, if you will. Paul wanted to have him go on with them, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were there in that region. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Leave it up. That's an unusual passage of Scripture. And you really need to study and understand kind of what's happening. The, the, the Apostle Paul said to the Jew, will be a Jew that I would, win, I would win them. 
And so coming from a, a Greek's home, a pagan home, as well as a Jewish home, Paul wanted to use him in the ministry. And he said, well, how would anybody know? Well, public baths, maybe. I don't know. But you know what's interesting is Titus didn't have to do that. And it's not about salvation either because Paul talked to the Galatians and talked about those who uh, would say that it would be mandatory for you to be saved, that you have to do that. Now, but here's the thing. Timothy is not a little baby. He's a young man. And I don't know. I'm thinking, you know, for the average young man, should that have to take place today? I think it'd be called to be in some other field. <laughs> Timothy, here's what has to happen. I've been feeling called to the Gentiles, personally. I, you know, no offense. It's all good. It's a major deal. And he doesn't reject the call of God. He follows through with it. I say, how are you going to tie that into this message? Listen, you need to learn to sacrifice. I'm not talking about that specifically. I'm talking about learning to put your needs down, to put the needs of somebody else ahead, to, to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And without sacrifice, there's, listen, without death, there's no resurrection. Many of you have not resisted like that. Do you wonder? you got half a foot, one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, and you're being ripped right up the middle, and you're wondering why you have no victory, no power, no authority. You wonder why your prayer seemed to hit a brass ceiling. But, you, you know, you just watch rated R stuff and perverting yourself left and right, doing all kinds of stuff the Lord's trying to convict you of. When you come to the service here, you just hope I want to move on from where you're preaching right now. Move on, bald-headed preacher. Stop talking about stuff that convicts me. But you want to go home and continue to fornicate and get wasted smoke dope because now it's legal in Alaska how stupid can you be and breathe did I say stupid that's the amplified version how foolish so where's the victory how about die to yourself you know I don't know whoever sold the thing come to Jesus and it's all good it's totally not true He'll work it all for good, and you'll have resurrection, but you got to die first. Hallelujah. Come on, wave your hands and get some comfort. Hallelujah. Sing with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, sing it, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Look at B. Teach your children the scriptures. Teach your children the scriptures. Second Timothy, we're talking about empowering the next generation. If we don't empower them, who will? Empowering the next generation. Teach them the scriptures. Teach your children the scriptures. Moms, dads. 2 Timothy 3.14 But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. That is a profound verse right there. Knowing from whom you have learned them. Go on to the next verse. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise. Anybody want wisdom? Yeah. 
know the word, able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I've thought really for years that my kids would just be discipled because they're in church, and I'm in church a lot, and I love it. I was in church a lot before I was preaching the services. I just, it's the biggest party in town, so I'm just like, want to come and rejoice, get somebody to pray for me, get filled with the Spirit, hear the word of truth, come on, his word is like a hammer, breaks the rock to peace, I had a lot of rocks I needed broken, come on, I'm just going to come to church, I just love coming to church. And so I thought, well, you know, my kids are going to get discipled because I'm preaching, or there's a guest, or Pastor Karen, or Pastor Alex, my kids will get discipled because they're in church with me every time I'm here. Do you know that that is true in part, but mostly discipleship cannot take place in a crowd. It's another good tweet right there. Discipleship doesn't take place in a crowd. So if you don't develop relationships where people can get up in your grill and lovingly walk through life together, then you'll never really know what it is to be a real Christian where the rubber meets the road. Well, you don't know how to make it through, but you have somebody you can reach to, confess to, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The book of James talks about that. Many people don't have any relationships where they can confess their faults. So they wear a little Christian mask and sing hallelujah and walk around like, you know, how great thou art and all that. But, there, but there's no transparency, there's no humility, there's no accountability, and certainly nobody has your shut-up card. Meaning that when you step out of bounds, there's not anybody there to say, hey, what are you doing? In love. You can't get discipled in a crowd. Your mothers and fathers, your children are your number one disciples. And you need to make them your number one. And you need to give them your very best. I've learned that. And I'm going to try to do a better job. How about you? Are you teaching your kids the word? Do you have a time where you're sitting down? I mean, at least once a week. You sit down and you open the word of God and you, you pray with them and you show them. I don't mean just worshiping with them, but please do that also. Don't, don't, don't partition your walk with God where you just come to church and Pastor Kirsten and the children's ministry ministers there and we did our church thing and then just go back home. No, it needs to be a day-by-day walk with God and you need to teach them the word. Teach them to memorize scripture. I've taught my children to memorize scripture. Now they do it on their own. Sometimes I need a little encouragement. All right, let's move on. Honor your parents so your children will honor you. What? Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. Have a long life. It'll be well in the land. There it is. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long. Upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Wow. That says it much better than my paraphrased version. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord God is giving you. Let's flip it. The converse is true. I've said it over and over again. Dishonor your mother, mother and father. Have a short life in the land where the Lord wanted to give it to you, but he's not going to give it to you now because you're dishonored. Do you get it? Well, I don't want to honor you. You don't know what my father did. No, I don't know, but you can honor them by forgiving them. How about that? That's a good place to start. You can forgive your mom. Yeah, because Jesus died for that thing too. And you need to teach your kids to honor. 
Don't let your kids back talk your, your wife, sir. Don't, ma'am, don't let your kids talk stink about your husband. Teach them to be respectful. Teach them to, teach them to do the right thing. And if you let a kid be, uh, be mouthy and rebellious, then you're going to have a prison ministry. Now, I think prison ministry is great. I think it's great that we can go in and minister to the prison. I'm not knocking that. I think it's great. But my kids are not going to do that from the inside. Hello? Is anybody here today? So you need to correct your kids and instruct your kids and teach them. We're talking about empowering the next generation. Raise up world changers. Don't raise up losers. Now, nobody's a loser in God's sight. They just have parents that don't do it right and raise up kids that are broken, defiled, addicted to all kinds of stuff. And then they got to come and we get them free. How about we train them rightly and we raise them up to be world changers? You know, my parents did the best that they could and I was rebellious. I needed a lot more cracks in the love of God. I needed instruction. I didn't have a father that was there. I didn't, and I just could fool my mom and she was so sweet. I've just played it. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know you did too. <laughs> honor, honor your parents. You honor your parents. Send your parents money. Teach your kids to bless you and give you cash. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. If a child's allowed to dishonor parents, in the Old Testament, they would be taken out and killed. That doesn't happen anymore, thank God, because most of us wouldn't be here. But I'll tell you what does happen. If you don't teach your, teach your kids to, to be children of honor, then you'll find them dying later. They live a life that's cursed, and they have to overcome that. And, and is anybody besides me thankful that God is a good God and he's able to help us? I am. I'm so, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Pray for them. D, Pastor Alex, would you come? Pray for them. E, be affectionate. I mean, this whole sermon series, all of this stuff, trying to move quickly as we come to a close. Pray for them. Pray for your kids every day. Let them hear you praying for them. Call them by name before the throne of God. Cover them in prayer. Cover them in the blood. Decree and declare. Proclaim the blessing of God over their lives. Speak life to them. Be affectionate. You say, well, I'm not like that. My father wasn't like that. Well, change, Bubba. Bubba, change. You need to love on your kids. Be affectionate with them in a holy, righteous way. Somebody once told me, uh, is Hannah here? Where's Hannah? Raise your hand. Where's my daughter at? Good, she's not here, praise God. If I can tell a story. You know, when she, she's, she's a powerful young woman of God now, and she is such a joy and such a blessing to us. I remember when she was becoming a young lady. Can I just say it that way? Okay, so I would wrestle with my kids. I mean, we just wrestle around, and Danny and Hannah and everything. Then she starts becoming a woman. I didn't know how to do that. I'm just thinking, like, wrestling's over, obviously. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, obviously we don't wrestle anymore, so, uh, hi. No, I'm being serious. It's like, hello, Hannah. You know, A-frame hug. Big mistake. And so, so Karen says to me, you, you, you have to change. Because all of a sudden, you're, like, rejecting her. I'm thinking, yeah, but Look, I'm helping some of you right now. Then I, so my, my wife encouraged me, no, you need, you need to wrestle. It's all the same. It's still the same. 
I thought, okay, Jesus, help me, you know. And I heard this, it helped me. Somebody said, yeah, you know, the father that doesn't hug his young daughter is going to have somebody else going to be hugging the daughter. I thought, problem over. I got healed instantaneously. And he said, Hannah, come here, babe. <laughs> Instantly set free from, from, from all that. Be affectionate. Someone say, be affectionate. Touch them. Put your hand on your back. Be affectionate. Express words of affirmation. Tell them how great they are. Tell them how much you love them. Give them, give them things just because it's Tuesday. Don't spoil them. Make them work hard. Make them earn things. Don't have an entitlement that runs your house. Well, we could go on and on. Encourage them. Encourage them to do what God's called them to do. Listen, some of you, just put the boat off and invest in your kid. If that's what the Lord calls you to do. He's, he has called us to invest in them. Make their, be a dream releaser. Gosh, I, I watched, I watched, let me pick the Moroccos. I watched Dr. Morocco and Pastor Colleen. I've watched how they have set their kids up. They set them up, man. They all own houses. They're all prospering and being blessed. And it's not so much because of, of daddy, but daddy and mom, they, they say, come on, you can, you can do it. Come on, you can fly. But you can fly and taught them how to manage their money, taught them how to do real estate, taught them, taught them. And so here you have kids that are, well, they're in their 30s. I could pick on you, Pastor Alex. Thank God for your mother. Thank God for your father. Their faith is in you. Even you've got next level stuff going on. God taught you how to, how to handle your finances. He's blessed you. How many houses you got now? Two. How old are you? 28 years old, he's got two houses. So, oh, oh, no, no. Very shrewd young man. I will tell you how that happened. Is this okay? You all right? You'll be all right. Amen. <laughs> he had somebody that taught him, and he took hold of it. He didn't reject it. He took the training, took the instruction, said, yes, mom. His mother is one of the finest women of God I know. It is absolutely true from a family that's one of the finest families that I know. And I'm honored to have you on the staff. You're vital here. Really appreciate you. And now look what you're doing. You're raising a bunch of world changers yourself. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. I'm getting a little long-winded, but I feel the Holy Ghost just pushing me right now. What many of you don't know is that Pastor Alex, when you were how old? Your father passing. He was 14 years old, and his father, who was a great man of God and one of my very dear friends, in fact, my friendship with him was growing, and right when he, his father passed, he crashed a small aircraft and died instantly when Pastor Alex was 14. And as a church, we lost one of the pillars of our church. But you stand here today because you had to make some choices, but you had a mother and you had a family and you had a group of people around you that loved you. I, we prayed with, for, with tears. We prayed. We interceded with tears. And his grandparents. Amazing, amazing family. Now here's the thing. We say, I didn't come from a family like that. Why don't you make one then? Why don't you decide 
Let me see. I think I'll break all the curses off. I think I'm going to live for God. I think I want that. I wouldn't mind my kids when they're, you know, 28, being blessed, not having lived from paycheck to paycheck, blessed, prospered. I heard something about you that blessed me when I was in Maui. Dr. Morocco, when he came, I don't even know if you know this story. Dr. Morocco, when he came, his first board meeting, your great-grandfather was on the board. This is, this, your kids are fifth generation, part of our church, fifth, five generations. Now that's, that's amazing. So you're number four. So Dr. Morocco had this vision to do this church, to build this church like the way that we're building and all of that. And as he stood there and he cast a vision before the board, it was crickets. Nobody doing anything. There wasn't really agreement. And it was a moment when, really, it's a moment when, as a result of that, I would end up being saved or not. That's how I see that, generations later now. And as he stood there and he shared this, the, the vision of what God wanted to do, your great-grandfather stood up. Do you know this story? His great-grandfather stood up and said, Pastor Morocco, we voted you in as our pastor. We will do whatever you want to do. And it released this agreement in the board. Everybody said amen. And we are now 124 churches all around. We've got to empower the next generation. We've got to breathe life into it. We've got to teach them the word. We've got to teach them how to walk by faith. We've got to teach them how to sacrifice. We've got to teach them how to pray. We've got to be affectionate with them. Come on, we've got to encourage them to do what God's called them to do. Verse 18 of 1 Timothy 1. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you that by them recalling them you may fight the good fight. Verse 14 of chapter 4 in 1 Timothy, don't neglect your gift which has given you the prophecy of the body of elders laying hands on you. Encourage your kids to fulfill their destiny. They're world changers. Don't ever think of them as anything else. There's no illegitimate children. There's only illegitimate parents. God loves kids. He loves children, loves the unborn. We are going to have a great move of God. We're going to see a generation empowered because you're going to live your, live your faith out loud and on fire. You'll sacrifice and give and serve and they will see the blessings of God in the land of the living and they won't quit. They won't give up. Come on. We're going to see a great move of God. Can you say amen? Stand up on your feet, last point. Keep in mind that every believer, as a believer, you're a sanctifying presence in your home. You might be married to someone who's an unbeliever. Well, you sanctify your home then. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. Eunice, Timothy's mother, was married to a pagan. And her influence in Timothy's life made him a great man of God that even changed history. And you can read up on how Timothy was used. We can change the next generation, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. We can. In fact, God has called us to do it. Can you say amen? Lift your hands all across this place. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
thank you. Thank you for every child. Thank you, Lord, for all of our youth. Thank you, Lord, from the youngest even to the oldest. All of us are sons and daughters. And, Lord, it is your plan. It is your will for us to model and empower people to walk a life of freedom and joy because of what you did on the cross of Calvary. We will not let comfort, apathy, lethargy rule us. We will be moved by your word. We will do the right thing even when it's hurtful, even when it pains us to keep our word. We will keep it. We will be a stand-up generation purchased by the blood of peculiar people, a holy nation. God, we will decree and declare and proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and see a generation that's empowered living for you. Not a sloppy agape or a false hyper grace message. No, Lord, genuine truth found in your word, right doctrine. God, thank you. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we conclude this morning's service, if you're not right with God, don't you leave this place without being reconciled to him. If that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time or you want to make a recommitment all across this place. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? You say, that's me, Pastor. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand, son. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Come on, let's pray right out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. Right out loud, every voice. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. And make me new. Thank you that Jesus rose again from the grave. And so now, raise my life up. Take out the heart of stone. And put in the heart of flesh. And fulfill the purpose for which I was created. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these. Those online, those that will hear it later by podcast. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill, touch, heal any brokenheartedness. Bless all the mothers specifically, but the parents, fathers too. Bless families. Today, we pray. In Jesus' name, now Lord, bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Be gracious to them. Keep them. And give them peace. Amen and amen. We'd love to see you tonight. If you're free, come 6 o'clock service. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065 or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.